Hi there, Corey Raven here. Welcome to Crosstalk, another episode of the leading podcast for recovery for people who want to get sober, find out how we did it and we stay sober. There was a very well-known book, bestseller called The Bible that told a lot about its stories and stories of the way we learn. Today is January 9th, 2024. And on this day, 50 years ago, my guest celebrated his first day of sobriety and today He's celebrating 50 years, a dear friend of mine, somebody I love so much, somebody who's helped me and so many people. Please welcome Todd Whitmer. <laughs> Todd, welcome to Crosstalk. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction too. That was really, that was really sweet. I'm so honored that you're, I mean, everybody is grabbing for some of your time today and you are giving a little bit of your time today uh, to our listeners and to me, and I'm grateful for that. So, Todd, what we want to do is we want to just find out about Todd Whitmer and, and you know, how it is that you've come to the place that you are right now, a, a leader of, of people who are sober, a power of example to, to me and to so many people. So how did it start? And tell us, uh, tell us where you were and where you are. Okay. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I always talk about what happened two days before I got clean and sober, but it's such a story that I want to maybe save that. Um, and I don't want to get into that story too much because it's like kind of a funny story, but it's a sad story and a tragic story in many ways. But it, it was a beginning story. So I don't want to quite do that yet. Okay. I'm not sure why. All right, so where do you want to start? Um, if you want, you can actually start with how things are right now. And then there are a lot of very successful Broadway shows that go backwards. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to congratulate you because I think what you're doing in this podcast and how you're interviewing people and you're putting it out there for anybody who wants to look at it. I think it's really, really a, a great service. And uh, I've enjoyed watching the ones that I've watched. And I know the people, a lot of the people that you've interviewed. And, you know, I think it's really, really a great thing. And a credit to your, to your camera folks, too, to Surge and all that. So congratulations. Thank you. I, you know, at the end of the day, we all are, you know, taught about uh, 12 steps. Uh, some people find that to be the way to go. Other people not. Doesn't really matter how you get sober as long as you get sober. But for me, giving it away is the only way that I can keep it. And this is one of the ways that I can be of service and to feel like I'm, I'm adding something um, you know, to the mix. And if I can help one person with somebody watching our interview today, it's worth everything to me. Well, you know you're going to help more than one person. I mean, I, I like that phrase that people say, but... Um, you know, you're, you're helping a lot of people, for sure. You about me. Yeah, um, well, works yeah. both ways. Yeah. 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 So here we are in New York City. I mean, that's really cool. Um, that's really cool for me to be in New York City. I know you're from here, so you're already, you've already got it in your, in your heritage and, and everything. And, and, um, but I think one of the magical things for me in my journey in recovery was to be able to come and work in New York City, in the greatest city in the world. 
you know, I was burglarizing drugstores, not many, but I, I was burglarizing drugstores in my, in my addiction. And so to you know, have an office and have a role and have connections, really good connections, people connections, recovery connections in New York City has been one of the, one of the greatest gifts. Over decades. To my recovery. About 15 years I've been in, in New York, pretty much off and on. So, so that is, um, you know, I never, that's something that I never would have thought could have possibly happened in my growing up times and all that. And a lot of your life has been spent in the field of recovery services and helping other people. Yeah, I, um, I got sober, like you said, 1974. And at that time, um, you know, the whole treatment world was, you know, just pretty crazy. It wasn't, it wasn't well organized. There was Hazleton, there was Chit Chat, um, there was um, Smithers Daytop, there was um, Smithers was in Cinnamon. New York. There was, there was Smithers, yeah. But I went to a place um, in Pennsylvania that was a real high confrontation place and I was there because I was, I didn't want to go to jail. I was in trouble with the law. I had felony, a felony charge and conspiracy charges, and I was looking at pretty serious time. Um, so I, you know, went to the treatment center and I decided to, to stay out of jail. So I did everything that they told me to do. And after about uh, a year, meanwhile, you know, I went to meetings and, and I met people that were pretty much like me and we had a lot of fun, you know, staying sober, and I thought, that's weird, how can that be? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but um, I got an opportunity to be a counselor aide at, at the treatment center where I went for help. And, uh, and then I decided, well, maybe I'll get, get more involved with this. So, so yeah, I've really been in the addiction treatment recovery career basically for at least 48 years of that. 50 years. Is one of the things you get from being in that field, um, do, you, do you feel like it sustains your own sobriety as well as, you know, guiding other people? Well, of course, when you're, you know, working with people and around people, you certainly are aware of the, the insanity of addiction and how it affects people. But I learned really early that you have to have your recovery outside of the outside of your, your work. Your work is not keeping you sober. Your work is not the way to maintain sobriety. And I've seen people get too much into, well, I'm, you know, I don't need to go to meetings. I don't need to do other stuff. I'm seeing it every day. So, so yes and no, I guess I'd say with that. But my recovery has always, my recovery has basically been outside of my, it's important for me to keep it outside of my, of my work. Right. I still go to meetings today. You know, I was at a meeting, a Zoom meeting yesterday morning at 6 a.m. Right. So, they were beginning. I don't go to meetings every day. I'm not like you know. Right. It's not a not you know, a you know, you know what a yeah. Not every day, but you're still connected, and you're connected to the things that got you where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't talk about my work and, and meetings. I, you know, I stay connected in that way. Right. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you personally and your, your, your journey, not necessarily your uh, breaking and entering or, or anything you might want to, because um, if I'm listening to this and I don't know who you are, I want to know how the hell you, you got to the point where you're happy, you live purposefully, 
I know personally you have amazing relationships, um, both you know on the professional level and personal level. How the hell do you do that? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I think it's um, <laughs> it's a good question. I, I guess, you know, I think recovery is a journey of personal growth, right? You know, you, you just, number one, stay sober a day at a time, and then you do some work around it. And I've had a lot of therapy, you know, over the years. I did four rounds of Jungian uh, analysis with, you know, true Jungian. I wasn't the analyzer. I was the patient, you know. That was really super helpful to me. Um, but, you know, working the steps and, you know, just being honest and being, it's important, it's been important to me, I guess, you know, it's interesting you ask that question because I think I was in, my, in college, you know, in the 60s, so college in the 60s. <laughs> I was a searcher, you know. Um, I took uh, courses in, in Oriental philosophy and Zen Buddhism and, you know, I, I wanted to, I knew there was more to um, what was going on than what I was living. I, on some level, I knew that, even though I was living just the, you know, the suburban Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Pennsylvania kind of life, I guess, um, in terms of growing up, Eagle Scout, um, you know, acolyte in church, a, a family that was, to, you know, parents were together. Um, but it was the 60s. And I'm so grateful to be as old as I am because it means that I was alive during that incredible period of time, you know, from the, you know, I mean, I bought all the Beatles albums right, you know, from the record store downtown was the day they came out, you know, <laughs> played Sgt. Pepper with my, my best friend, you know, and listened to it and tried to figure out the words together that first day it was out. So, um, marched against the war in Vietnam like eight times in DC, which was interesting. That's an interesting thing to think about recovery because, or not recovery, but addiction, because in the early days of the marches against the war in Vietnam, it was amazing. So that's probably 60, the moratoriums were I think 68 or 69, maybe 60, yeah. And it was all kinds of people, you know, there was spiritual people, there was uh, religious people, there was attorneys, there was professionals, and there were, you know, hippies, long hair, you know, protesters and singers and all that. And over the years, three or four years of those marches, you know, it just got to be, don't drink any of the wine in the green gallo bottle. Uh, uh, will so-and-so please come to the acid tent? You know, it, it, it just, that diversity of people that were all about making changes. Mm -hmm. And I was, part of, I was part of both, but I was seduced by, by drugs for sure, using everything that there was to use. And well, you were at an age where, you know, it's easier to get influenced by that than, you know, I think when you're very young or, or much older, but anybody can, is susceptible to that. Yeah, yeah. But it was an exciting time to be alive, you know. I mean, we had, we had what we called a, a commune <laughs> that, that I kind of was part of. It wasn't really a commune, but it was a bunch of uh, people no. living together on a farm. Right, in um, Pennsylvania? In Pennsylvania, yeah, outside of Lancaster. Um, and, um, you know, really trying to talk about all the stuff that's happening now. We were trying to eat organic food. We were trying to grow our own stuff. We were 
growing around pot. You know, we were, right. Um, but it was a very exciting time to live. And, uh, you know, that was one of the hardest things, I think, um, when I stopped drinking and stopped using, um, because the place I went to was so high confrontation. They said, you must cut off all your friends, everybody, nobody, you can't, you know, they're all going to take you back to your... To your uh, Were you able to do that? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And yeah. looking back, was that a mistake or was that a good thing? Well, it wasn't, it was like, uh, I think it was too um, either or, you know. It, was, it wasn't like everybody that I knew was... It was black and white. Yeah, yeah, this is my, my friend Gene, um, who I lost, um, he died um, two months ago, three months ago. And um, he moved to our street uh, when we were eight years old. He's 14 days older than me. Same, same month, same. And we did everything together, you know, shoveled snow, rode bikes, the whole thing, up through um, high school. He, he, he went to Catholic high, I went to the public schools, and we kind of got separated there, and then he went to, he, he joined the Marines, and I was protesting, <laughs> and you know, we kind of lost contact, you know? And uh, he had a horrible, not a horrible time, he had a, um, uh, he was in Vietnam. And you know, he saw things, he saw, he saw his, his mates get killed, you know. And I wasn't there for him, you know. I was in my own fucking world. Um, I'm so grateful that we reconnected, but it, it was several years later. So there was a period of like, and it wasn't, he wasn't somebody that I thought I had to cut away from, you know, when I went to treatment. But it was an example of, you know, everybody's different, everybody's unique. Relation, every relationship is unique. And yeah, drug, somebody, well, you know, on our commune, for instance, we had one guy, and uh, he, was, he was as crazy as all of us, and I remember uh, he went uh, hitchhiking, we hitchhiked a lot, and he went away for about a week, and he came back and he'd, gotten, he'd been picked up by, a, I don't know, somebody who convinced him that stop using drugs, and he came back and he was full of the fire of, you know, we got to stop this, you know, this is killing us here. And, you know, we worked so hard for at least maybe a day and a half to get him high, you know, because he was telling the truth that we didn't want to hear. How'd it go? How'd it go for and him? Were you successful? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. much easier to go that way than the way we've gone. <laughs> right, right. Right? Right, <laughs> right. Anyway, but, um, but yeah, so my friend... Um, you know, when he came back from Vietnam, he, he lived in the desert in, uh, in New Mexico. And, you know, a couple months ago, after about two weeks after he died, I went out there. I was there for a conference, but I went to the area where he lived. And, and I bought this, um, this piece as a reminder uh, because, uh, you know, that was a true friendship, man. And I'm so grateful that we reconnected probably when I was, when we were both like, 35 maybe and never look back then to I'm sorry you lost together. him but I'm, I'm glad you had that relationship yeah yeah sounds like one of those you know uh, meaningful ones once in a lifetime time of friendships yeah yeah without a doubt you have a lot of that I, <laughs> I do you do I do, I do.
you and I didn't know each other back in the 80s, right. but we knew people in common. Shelly. Shelly. Yeah, Shelly was the guy. Shelly. Yep. He wrote a book uh -huh. called The Samaritan Solution, Shelly Barron. Okay, are you in it? Um, I'm not in it, no, but I could have been in it, but he was too, you know, uh, proper. Didn't so. have any case studies. Yeah. Maybe, maybe but a, was little, a case study. A little, a little bit of you in there? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> possibly. It was, a, it was a good book. He's a, he was a solid guy. And, yeah. Um, anyway, you know, you have those relationships in life. You don't almost don't know when they're going on, just how critical and important they oh are my God, in, this, yeah. in the arc of your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, now, not get to get into the nitty-gritty stuff. I know, I, I stuff. a bunch of stuff there, but... Let, let, so you you grew up in a really nice. Mom and dad were home, good education. All went white, to college. All white, all white. You know, yeah, suburb of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Right, and so um, were you discontent? Is that uh, what led you to start dabbling into substances, or was it just something that everybody was doing? Combination of the two. Everybody, not everybody was doing it, but <laughs> I was drawn to the people that were doing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what that's about. <laughs> you know, we were on the edge of getting in trouble. That was like, that was, you know, I, when I got my first uh, arrest for underage drinking, you know, I cut out, they didn't put our names in it because we were underage, but I cut out the newspaper and I kept my wallet. That was, the that badge was, of that honor. was as cool of being like a quarterback, you know, right. <laughs> the football team. <laughs> you know, I wasn't... Um, your, yeah. sw your sweater had stripes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was a stutterer, so that's the other thing. I, I, st I started stuttering in second grade, and um, I, um, it, it really um, wore on me. And there wasn't a whole lot of help for that. My, you know, every, I get good grades, like, except speaks fluently, X. <laughs> um, so I really developed this thing that there's something really, I was different, I was something wrong with me. And, and maybe the first time I drank, the first couple of times I drank, the first six months I drank, I didn't stutter perhaps, maybe. Um, so I think there was, and basically it was all about just relaxing. I, was, I finally got help for my stuttering when I was a senior in college and you had to take speech in order to graduate. So you can imagine second grade through 14 more years of this feeling like there's something wrong with me. So today, I've seen you a hundred times as the MC in front of hundreds of people at events. And the, you know, you, the last thing that you listen to me stuttering, the last thing that I would think that you would have difficulty doing is speaking because you seem so comfortable in front of a mic. Mm. So you took that course and all of a sudden, boom, it was no problem or over a period of time you got more comfortable? You know, what's interesting is um, I took the course and um, but the, then they referred me to a speech therapist who filmed me and showed me the film and showed me that I was not breathing and that was partly why I was stuttering and so I learned to breathe. <laughs> it was as simple as that. It's a yeah. very good skill during your course of your life. <laughs> right, yeah. right, 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 right. And, and, uh, but here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the fascinating thing though. This, this is the part that's recovery oriented. So you know when you get sober and you go to meetings and you know you go in the room and you know, somebody, somebody says, would you read this? Would you read this? 
It was the reading that really freaked me out. It wasn't so much the speaking, because I could decide what words I was going to say, but to actually, I, I just got more anxious about that. So I started to go in late, so I wasn't there when they passed the book around, or I'd sit mm. the other end of the room. So eventually, that would have taken me out, I'm sure. And one day, for some reason, the chair slid the book the whole way down the end of the table at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. Says, Todd, will you read this? So I was probably sober maybe nine months or a mm -hmm. year. And I'd mastered this stuttering because I'd learned that technique, you know, of breathing. But I stuttered the whole way through it. And then I, and I, then I confessed at the meeting, you know. And um, that changed everything. <laughs> But I still had to learn about breathing and all that. And I'm really glad that you said that because I do enjoy, you know, but you're, uh, you know, you are an inspiration to me in terms of the way you handle yourself and the way that you speak about things. How'd we get I, on me all of a sudden? <laughs> no, 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 it's true. I was thinking about, I was thinking about um, how, how funny you are, you know. I said, I want to be, be more funny in this next 50 years. That's what I'm thinking. You know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, there are certain things that we do that make us lose track of time. Oh, yeah. Laughing yeah. is one of those things right. that I, you can't do enough of. Right. It just feels so good. It's a little like dancing. Yeah. You know, stuff that makes you just, you know, that's what I was looking for when I was getting high. Yeah. I was looking for something that kind of took me outside. Today, laughing... Fortunately for everyone else, I'm not doing a lot of dancing, because that would make everyone else laugh. Well, but uh, laughing is great, and and um, you know I took a stand-up comedy course this summer. I know, I know, I know. It's so like, much fun doing that. That's, mm, wow, 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 a, wow, wow, wow. I was a little off-put by when we had our our charity event that no one said, "Corey, come on up here." You only were sitting. I sat you right in the front it's row. True. You could have just jumped up there. You, you, know, you gave me. I was, I was giving you everything I could. I couldn't. You, you did good. You did good. <laughs> I figured that you'd get in some kind of a banner with. And the with crazy one of those thing guys. is, is that night, uh, a comedian. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. Uh, What's his uh, name? Uh, uh, Seinfeld. He was on that show, right? Right. Right. <laughs> He's Larry David's guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, he showed up that night and did 15 minutes of hysterical stuff. He was good. Yeah, so, you know, I've learned that it's probably a good idea not to follow a guy like that. So. <laughs> I know, he would have been on earlier, probably. Exactly. And we didn't know he was coming until the very last minute that yes. night. What a great surprise. So, you know, um, so, so this, um, this, this particular band is uh, Greg's Gift and Karen. And, you know, Greg's Gift, of course, is our comedy night that we've been doing. Uh, for the Greg Grossman yeah. Fund, the scholarship fund. And, um, you know, wow. Um, what a... It could have been, could have been, could have been us, right? I mean, I, I overdosed. Uh, we, we, the place, this other kind of semi-commune place that I hung out, you know, one day this guy came over and he said, I got some really good coke. And at that time I was, I was shooting up stuff. And he says, here, here, let's, let's do it. So we, you know, there were three of us, I think, four of us. And uh, gave me a shot. And uh, next thing I know was my head, you know, bouncing on the floor coming out of a seizure. Um, and um, that had never happened before. Mm -hmm. So this was probably 1973, 72 maybe. 
And I said, okay, that's it. No more. I'm never going to do this shit right. again, you know. That's it. And, you know, nobody, like, said, hey, you should go to the hospital or whatever. <laughs> Went in the other room, sat down, got my shit together, sort of, and one guy walked through with a roach, you know. Oh, well, I can just take a little hit off of that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Greg, Greg Grossman um, died of an accidental overdose. And... Uh, what a tragedy! What a what a beautiful, a beautiful man. Um, so to be part of, you know, helping to um, honor his legacy and to raise money uh, for scholarships for young people for young people, and to meet his his sister Meredith and his mother Susan and his sister Tolly and their family and their kids, you know, to me that has been one of the most meaningful, meaningful things that um, I've been involved with in, in terms of my, I mean, that's my career, but it also touches sure. something really, really, really deep in me. You know? And for any of our listeners who are wondering when they can get involved with that, Greg Grossman's uh, scholarship, Greg's Gift, it's called, is at the Gotham Comedy Club every fall. Mm -hmm. And if you want to reach out over Crosstalk, we'll tell you all about that. If you want to come laugh a little bit and uh, enjoy helping other people. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good stuff you do, Todd. Thanks. Thanks. And we got our buddy, Neil Lasher. Well, you know, this is Neil here. <laughs> um, I got to get something different for Neil. I got to find something maybe like something that has more music to it. But I found this just to have, just to have something for him. But, um, you know, and you knew Neil uh, as well. And uh, we lost Neil to COVID, of course. Um, at the uh, very beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, talk about coming to New York and sitting across, uh, he was on our, he was on the board of uh, Karen, uh, Karen New York. And I was sort of in charge, I was the staff person kind of in charge of the board and not in charge of them, but <laughs> to work with them. And here's this guy sitting across from me and his white hair and wearing a scarf. And who's that guy, you know? <laughs> And then he says, I can't be in this meeting. I'm going to the Yankees game. And then I, then I texted him and I said, go Yankees, because I am a Yankees fan. So even though I'm a Phillies fan and an Eagles fan. Um, but Mickey Mantle, I mean, you know, I mean, Mickey Mantle was in my childhood. So that's how fucking old well, I am. I'm not that that's much. How old I am. <laughs> I'm around <laughs> the same age. I was, I was around when Mickey Roger. who? I was around when Roger and Mickey were, were kicking it out. Man. I remember that year. Yeah, 61. Uh, yeah. The M&M boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, so I texted him and I said, hey, have a great, uh, a great game. And he says, who is this? So, uh, so I said who I was, you know, and then I came over to his office and met him. And, you know, we just really clicked. He was uh, my age, long-term recovery, worked in the music business all his life. And, you know, talk about having fun and recovery and doing just amazing things together. Um, a lot of music. A lot of music. A lot of music stuff. Yeah. All of these things one can do, feel comfortable, and stay sober. Without a doubt. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And Neil, uh, Bill Tudorberg, I was talking to about, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And he said, I want you to meet this guy, Neil Lasher. I didn't know who he was. And um, we had several lunches uh, at which he kind of gave me a lot of guidance on doing interventions, which I, I studied to, to do. And uh, he really knew how to do it. He knew how to help people. He knew how to cut through the bullshit. 
He was a solid guy, and he was one of your best friends. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was a brother to me. As if you don't do enough with Greg's gift and other things, we have the Needle Lasher Foundation yeah. to help musicians, people in the music business, not yeah. just people in front, people behind and everything in the middle yeah. who can't afford treatment to get treatment, good yeah. treatment. Yeah. So Neil, you, Neil loved helping people, and he loved music, and he loved people in the music business. Yep. So, you know, working with uh, Neil's life partner, Jill Jordan, and putting together a, a founders board um, in honor of Neil and raising money. Um, and helping helping a lot of people has been has been another really 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 meaningful thing for me. And so uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for reminding me about that or bringing that up. Yeah. Well, you know what? The first fifty years are the hardest. I, I heard that <laughs> <laughs> at, at my meeting, my Monday morning meeting, which is in London. Um, so I'm on you know with with our friend Vicky. So I'm six a.m. for me. It's eleven for them. But, but I talked about it yesterday, and I said, you know, 50 years tomorrow. And the one guy says, you know, when I got my first year, he says, uh, one year is no mean feat. You know, being sober one year, that's no mean feat. And, and you know, it's so true. I mean, that first year, that first six months, that first three months, when everything is so foggy and, you know, just... Uh, and for people listening to this who are trying to see how to do it, one day is a miracle, too. One day is a miracle. I, that wasn't the easiest thing to do. How many times did I try to have one day? Yeah. And I wasn't able to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, really for me, uh, 50 years of continuous, I haven't had a relapse yet. Um, but it was really the law. <laughs> it was really yeah. the threat of jail. It was really, I didn't want to go to Rockville state penitentiary. <laughs> You know, Shelly used the shit say, of that. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> so I did everything you what you could do. So it wasn't like I was. I'm going to do this recovery thing. Well, Shelly used to talk about leverage. Yeah, <laughs> leverage being really important. Whether it's the leverage of a of a spouse or a parent yeah. or sibling or an employer yeah. or the law. The law. It's all kinds the of ways was, you get motivated to get your shit together. Yeah, the law was big for me. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea of being alive. I, I had OD'd in 1982, mm. and after um, coming to, I noticed that there was a black kind of a contractor's garbage bag with my clothes in it. Mm. And I, I remember when I early days I used to qualify at meetings, I used to say, well, I knew my father dressed me to get to the hospital because there was a striped uh, jacket and plaid pants. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, he couldn't do that. But I took the bag out, and in the pants, I found two quaaludes. Wow. And I had just overdosed. Uh-huh. And what did I do? Oh my God, of course. I took two quaaludes. Yeah. It was at that moment that I realized that there might be a problem. <laughs> right. yeah, that was a couple of weeks before I entered treatment. Yeah, yeah. I remember quaaludes. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's, um, I, you know, you know, the whole thing of hitting bottom and all that you know uh, what does that mean really um, it's, it's such a I don't like that that phrase because I don't think anybody has to hit bottom I think what, what is a bottom you know it really depends upon the person it's it's um, it's a turning point it's, it's a turning point it's it's a as a Christopher um, Kennedy last name was Christopher Kennedy? 
Yeah, no, Christopher. You having like a senior moment now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moments of clarity, you know, he, the book Moments of Clarity. Okay. That's what you're talking about. Yes. Who do I mean? Who well, I mean? It's okay. I, I knew you have it together. You, I just you know who I mean, though. Trying right? to laugh. You, yes, I do. I just don't remember the book. I'm too old. You're not say his I name. would tell you the name if I knew it, but I can't Lawford. remember. There you go. That's right. That's Kennedy's relationship. Peter Lawford. Good book. Peter He's got Lawford's. those 16 different. Right. Uh, rules, you know, you know, different. But he has stories of moments of clarity. That's another one. He's had a couple of books. Yeah, but anyway. It's a really good book. It is. But I think that's the point of, I guess I want to just say that in terms of um, when you have those moments of clarity that you're talking about with those two quaaludes, you know. You know, I had that moment of clarity when I'm laying on the floor coming out of a fucking seizure. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't try to grab a hold of it. So... You know, I think I think that's what instead of bottoms, we should be talking about moments of clarity. And, mm-hmm. and, I like that and heightening the awareness of of that. So, so in terms of you know, uh, you know, this has been a very different interview than we've had before, mm-hmm. and I think it's really wonderful that we're kind of going outside the box because this is really um, it kind of defines what crosstalk is all about, which is just back and forth exchanging ideas, things, people that we remember, times that we remember. Um, this is perfect. It couldn't be more perfect. Um, in terms of uh, the day that we're, we're enjoying today, which is the day that you um, celebrate uh, 50 years of sobriety, Sergio, do you have some, I'd, l- I'd love to show Todd and our listeners something, a surprise that I have for you and I don't exactly know how this is going to look on camera, but it's going to feel really good to me. Okay, okay. So our producer, Sergio, is about to unveil something Uh-oh. that I want to share with you and everybody else. Uh-oh. If he, you know, the... the, the I hope I like it. The I guys, hope I like it. <laughs> the nice thing about this is we can edit this so it doesn't have to be I, I really... Hope I, li- I hope it's something that... I think you're going to like it. I do. You might not like all of it, <laughs> but you like some of it. Okay. All right. All right. That's life. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. Very true. It's probably going to be the uh, first of other celebrations you'll have today. But uh, the idea to me of uh, celebrating who you are, not just the, the amount of time. By the way, do you have a, a some kind of... Um, my in your coin? pocket? My coin? You have a coin. Your coin that I've never that, seen one of these. I've never seen it either. I've never seen it either. So, yeah. I mean, it's... It has an L on it. It has an L. Right? Yeah, which is the Roman, Roman Check numeral. Check this out. Roman numeral. Can anybody see that? Roman numeral for 50. It says... Which I had forgot. To thine own self be true. Which I love. Uh, unity, service, recovery. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. We're going to take a break from the coin because we're ready for this surprise. Oh, my gosh. All right. It, it looks like if it's from my most favorite bakery in New York City, then, oh, my gosh, look at that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my now, gosh. Now, we have to show our, our, our people that are watching this what we're looking at. Oh, wow. You Okay, you toss devil. that box. Check, you, check you this devil, out. You devil. You devil. You devil. It says, congratulations, Todd. 50 and counting. That's it. That's it. Oh, my gosh. That's gorgeous. That's beautiful. Oh, my God. It's a heavy cake. (laughs) Wow. Now, you don't have to tell everybody what you're wishing, but um, I'll shut up for a moment. 
Hmm. Well, you know, I, I did buy a lottery ticket for today, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Priority. I, but, I, but I shouldn't wish for that. I shouldn't wish for that. I don't think that's good. Let me hold this to give you a little easier time of, yeah, of thinking about it. I shouldn't wish Yeah, let's for not go there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I've got a good one. I've got a really good one. All right. Now I blow the candle out, right? Yeah, I think <laughs> blowing the candle out would be a good job. Wow. Very nice. Very nice. And there we are. Congratulations, Todd. Uh, thank you. All right. We're going to put this down and we'll have oh, a little man, bit later. I can't, I Wait, can't. You're, you're supposed to. <laughs> no, I don't think we planned on that. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad idea for the camera. That'd be good. This is that'd be too That's messy. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, I saw the uh, when uh, Tommy Smothers died. You know, I, I've tuned in a couple of the YouTubes. It yeah. was one with Dan Rowan when I guess um, his brother, uh, Tommy's brother, was a race car driver, so mm -hmm. he wasn't on. It was the very last show. You know, uh, the that they cut. No, no, of, of the of Smothers the brothers. brothers. They had a great thing with the pie. You got to see it. Really good with the pie. I love Tommy Smothers. <sighs> I love you, so Thank I you. wanted to do something that would, you know, kind of recognize the momentous um, accomplishment you have. And even though we all know it's today, we can't really trade on yesterday. It's still something very unusual. And, you know, you're, it's, it's so um, inspiring to everyone I'm, I have a little time but um, people that are coming in that see that others can do something like you've done one day at a time for 50 years you know if you can do it then the next guy can do it that's how this thing works and you know you just by your continuing to show up and of course everything else that you do on top of that it's not just the time it's what you do with your time and it's it's amazing it really is amazing I'm a I'm a very, very lucky that I know you and that we've become close friends over the last several years. I feel, I feel the same way, Corey. I really appreciate you and I, I appreciate your, you're really good at uh, giving gifts that are meaningful. You know, you've given me these socks. These are yellow, <laughs> yellow submarine socks that uh, Corey gave me for Christmas, our first Christmas together. I don't really like the song Yellow Submarine. It's not a really great Beatles song. Well, know? it's Ringo. It's a kid's song. Sorry, Ringo, if you're watching, but <laughs> I love you, Ringo. I love you so much. <laughs> he loves all the living Beatles. <laughs> but, um, but I love this picture. You know, what a great picture it of the is. submarine, man. You gave me this. Yeah, and, they were and, and you, happy and you, socks. And you made a uh, picture when I was... Uh, Selling, telling my story at the improv and I sent you that picture and you wow, blow that, it up for me. And Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah, it was really... I have that to. was just like an artistic silhouette. Yeah, yeah. It was really... I, I don't even know how my eye caught that, but it's really a, an interesting uh, shot. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the, you know, one of the times you were up on stage and doing what Todd does, which yeah. is uh, help everybody go in the right direction. Yeah. Thanks. So you're going, you're going out for dinner with so, some friends? So, so let me just say one yeah. other thing, because, you know, um, in terms of um, what this crosstalk is about, and one of, the, one of the, it's many layered crosstalk, but one of the layers, one of the strong layers is that it is, well, crosstalk. You don't crosstalk in AA meetings, you know? I mean, it's, <laughs> you've said it right there with the title. And um, 
you know, I haven't been like a regular attender of AA all those 50 years. Um, I've obviously been, I've gone to a lot of meetings and especially at early recovery, I went to a lot of meetings every day. Um, but I've always had a, some kind of a community of connection. And that to me is what's been important. You know, for years we had a, had a men's group and we were all in recovery, but we didn't, maybe, maybe the other guys went to meetings, I didn't, but that was my meeting once a week. But we all worked in, as professionals in the field and also were in recovery. So, you know, that, and that was a time of kind of the men's movement, Robert Bly, I don't know if you remember that era, uh, a lot of really cool things from then. But that was my support group for probably 15 years of that 50. Maybe I went to a couple of meetings here and there if I needed to, or you know, because someone was having an anniversary. So, so I guess I just want to say that that it's, yeah, meetings. I find a lot. I love meetings today. I didn't always love meetings. Sure. <laughs> and and um, but it's the community that I love, and it's the relationships that I love, and it's the kind of thing that we have together, and the and the space. I call it the, you know, it's a you can't see it, but there's a space here that that we that we have together. And, and that's um, sacred. The interesting thing is, is if, if somebody asks you, you know, what the, the main difference between active addiction and sobriety, there's a lot of differences, and, and some of it's very obvious, the way somebody looks, dresses, how their eyes appear, um, you know, how they're doing in their life with relationships and with business and things like that. But the, the thing that really is the pinpoint for me is the isolation of active addiction. And when people get sober, the constant is connection. The constant is that you have people around with whom you can share what's going on in your life honestly. And that's not something that one who is in active addiction, who's using, whether it's abusing or in an addictive way, you don't do that. You don't do that. Yeah, you may be partying with a lot of people, but it's still isolating. Right. And so, for me, the, the transition into being happy and sober is connecting. And that's what we do with one another. And if there's, there's a single thing that I point to, the, that's it. And, and Randall used to say that, I'm sure he stole it from somebody, but he used to say that um, uh, connection is the opposite of active addiction. That's mm -hmm. what we do. We connect with one another and in the... You said it earlier today, the capacity to be honest mm -hmm. is, you know, how it works. If you're to able be on, to be honest. Let's call it to be honester. Honester with yourself. <laughs> to be honester. Yeah. Keep on being honester. Right. <laughs> just yeah. keep on That's being. That's really just, more honest. Just keep on, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can always be more honest. So, honestering right. on the trudge. Well, I want to I warn our producer here, Sergio, that um, I'm going to ask Todd to stand up now. Usually, we get pictures of the guest and my butt when we do this. So I'm hoping that we can somehow raise the camera above butt level so that we c I can give you a big hug. Okay. Can we do that? Sure. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go ahead. Okay. Right. <laughs> we both made it. <laughs> Love you, man. Thank Love you, you so too. much.